Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you bi-weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from virtual CFOs, CPAs, and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you the results you need both in business and building the life you deserve. Welcome to episode 135 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast brought to you by PJS & Co. CPAs. I'm very excited to have Ruth King as a guest today. So this is Katina Peters. I'm uh, hosting here today in place of our normal host, Megan. So, but Ruth is well known as the profit and wealth guru. She is passionate about helping small business owners get profitable and stay profitable. We like that. Ruth is a serial entrepreneur having owned eight businesses in the past 37 plus years. One of her businesses, Business Ventures Corporation, began operations in 1981. Through Business Ventures, she coaches, trains, and helps contractors and others achieve the business growth and goals they want to achieve. We have a lot of alignment there together, Ruth. She is the host of Contractor Sense. And if you check out episode 295, I was lucky enough and had the pleasure of being on the podcast back in November. So we're so happy to have you here, Ruth. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Katina. It's nice to be your guest. And thank you for being mine. You did a great job and gave us, our listening audience, some really good tips. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a wonderful conversation. Had a lot of fun doing it. So I'm glad to be able to uh, turn around the other direction here and uh, get to ask you some questions this time. (laughs) All right. Sounds great. (laughs) All right. So first, I wanted to kind of just find out a little bit more about how you got into the contractor industry, like how, how that began for you. Well, I was in graduate school with somebody who was part of Service America, which was a franchisor of heating and air conditioning companies back in the 80s. And they needed some help. And I was looking around for something else to do. And it turned out that it was a good fit for me. And I started into a niche that I, you know, have never left for 40, almost 40 years now. And it has branched out, of course. But I mean, that was really the start of it. I'm a chemical engineer by training. And realized that I know once I hit MBA school, I realized I really have a knack for explaining numbers and in English, not in accounting <laughs> babble as you do it. I don't know what you call it, <laughs> but really getting people to understand what the financials, the P&Ls, the balance sheets are really telling them so that they can spot minor issues before they become crises. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you've been around in the industry for quite a while, obviously seen a lot of things, I'm sure, and helped a lot of businesses along the way. So, you know, as we mentioned before, you're focusing a lot on coaching contractors on growth and profitability and how to get their businesses to the next level. So what would you say is one of those common challenges you see as you're working with coaching owners through growth and gaining profitability? Probably one of the most frustrating things is they say they want to do something, but then they don't do it. And I think you see that with your clients also. It's just the situation where I want to go here, I want to go here, but I'm not willing to do what it takes to go from A to B. And those who are not willing to do what it takes never get to B. So I'm blaming help as long as you're willing to put the work in. And that's really some, I would say probably the most frustrating thing is that 
okay, we want to do this, but no, we don't want it to have any work to do it. And we just want to, you know, snap our fingers and it magically appears and it never does it that way ever. So I think that's the most frustrating. And then a lot of the surveys that we just did recently through looking at not only contractors, but just general businesses, and you might have a input into this thing. We found that 75% of the people we talked to had financial statements that were wrong, which floored me. No, I would not be surprised. Are you seeing the same thing? (laughs) Yeah, probably 90% plus of the businesses that we work with that come in the door, there's this cleanup that has to happen before because we can't, we can't do analysis. We can't, you know, help them with budgeting. We can't do anything without a good solid foundation of financial statements. So we definitely see that that's the situation a lot more than you would think or, or, or hope even <laughs> that is going on. So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's probably the reason that it shocked me so much is that I'm working with probably a select group of business owners, not necessarily contractors who really want to get the financial side of their business right. And so my presupposition was that more people had financial statements that, cor- that were correct than there actually were. Most of the financial statements, in, at least in the U.S., are crazily wrong for one way, shape, or form. And as you said, you can't make good business decisions on inaccurate data. It doesn't work. Right. Yeah, you and I had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you have to have really good, solid foundations to work from in order to grow and, and become profitable. And you have to be open to change. Like you said, there's a lot of people that want everything, but they're not willing to make a lot of times the changes that they need to make in their business to grow and to, you know, do things. And and these are difficult things to do. You know, we've talked about it a little bit. We've done other podcasts. I'm sure you yours as well. I know some of the, the highlights of your podcast as well talks about, you know, you have to delegate, you have to set up systems, you have to, you know, and these are not easy things to do. They're easy to say, but they're not easy to actually go through and do. And we find that people you know, get that comfort level with where they're at. And they, like you said, they don't want to take those steps to make those changes, but they're they're really stunting themselves and their business if they don't do that. So they really have to have that change mindset and be willing to, to do those things. Yeah. And, and if you look at it, a lot of times I deal with generational things and I'm sure you do too. And dad always ran the business a certain way and dad doesn't want to change, but the kids come along and they see the technology that's here. They see AI coming in. They see all the different things that we can do now that dad didn't have access to. I mean, when I was in college, I used a slide rule. I mean, (laughs) nobody knows what a slide rule is anymore. (laughs) There was no QuickBooks. (laughs) Right. You know, so I mean, if we look at it that way, and if you're not willing to make the changes, and because we've always done it this way, it'll always work this way. Well, you'll go the way the buggy whip manufacturers then. Yeah. They have their head in the sand. Yep. You have to change with changing times. You have to stay stay up on things and, and continue to, you know, reinvent and modify. And, you know, we, we always advise our clients, you know, to, to try to do so, obviously, in a very smart way. Like, you don't want to change every three months, <laughs> but you want to look ahead, plan ahead, you know, get the best solution that you can for hopefully the next three years, let's say, or, you know, five years or something like that, depending on what system we're talking about. But things change so rapidly, you still have to be open to potentially modifying that, you know, as you go. So... Yeah, the, the budget is, is there for, for a reason. It's a budget. 
you know, if we do better, let's figure out what we're doing better. If we're not doing as well, let's figure out what we're not doing and see whether we can change it. And I mean, I've had situations where competitors have come in, you know, the market area and totally killed it. And so you have to have a plan B, you know, whether or not you had a budget, you had one of those things that happened. I mean, COVID happened. Good oh, grief, yeah. look what that did to businesses. We didn't plan that. Right. And it, and I we found that the businesses that had budgets and, and plans in place, though that wasn't going to happen because of COVID, they, they, it was a lot easier for them to wor- work through the new scenario because they had some structure in place to work through and to work with rather than to kind of like fly by the seat of their pants or go into a panic or what have you. Even if it's not the budget and the plan that you set out at the beginning of the year with your strategic planning for the business, it allows you to make tweaks more quickly because you already have established that process and procedure. So you meet with your accountant, you meet with your team and you rework, you know, what was already there for the new scenario, right? And not only that, your team, I mean, you know, five heads are better than one. 20 heads are better than five. I mean, (laughs) if you're, you know, if you're a sole proprietor, you've got to do it with your accountant, your accountant and your lawyer and, you know, people like that are your advisory board. But if you have a team of 30 people, get all their input. All Everybody's head is better than any one head. Yeah, and you got, definitely want the people that are in the department, on the ground, you know, things like that. Like you're saying, they, they see what's going on. They know the situation the closest. So getting that data is um, extremely helpful for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting because one, one of my, one of the caterers that I work with closely I said to her, well, how was COVID for you? Because I wanted to know. And she goes, it was the best thing that ever happened to our business because it forced us to change the way we did things so that we could take care of our customers. And she got, I mean, how many restaurants do you know that survived? But they looked at it from a totally different perspective and looked at it from, okay, we can't do this. What can we do to make sure that our customers are happy? They're eating good food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they totally turned their business around as a result of it. So that's a very positive way of looking at it rather than, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Let's you know stick our head in the sand type thing. Yes, right. And that, that necessity creates a lot of the juices for invention, right? <laughs> like, oh, well, we that... have to change because if we don't, yeah, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> so, so like you said, if the businesses that were willing to do that, you know, got through it and maybe made some great strides in making some positive changes and just new ways of doing things for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So one thing too that we we talk a lot about, and I'm sure that you have a similar experience, is once owners reach like that million dollar mark in revenue, the game changes. So what kinds of things do you do to help coach owners through the shifts in priorities and how growth can pull you in different directions as an owner? Yeah, I, I look at the about the $1 million mark is what I call no man's land. You're kind of floundering. And you can't do it the way you used to do it because you can't put your fingers on absolutely everything all the time. You've got to hire people, which is a scary piece of it. And you don't have the revenue to really justify all of those people. So you'll end up less profitable than you were, let's say, than you were half a million dollars because you could handle everything yourself. But in order to actually get out of the million dollar area, you've got to find the right people and then let the people help you grow it to 1.5 or $2 million so that you get out of what I call no man's land. It's a very, I mean, it's a strategic, it's a pivotal point for most businesses. And you have two choices at that point. You can shrink or you can grow because staying at a million, you'll be miserable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Overwhelmed completely. Yeah. Yes, for sure. 
So that's the way I look at it. And so what I do, and I coach a lot of people through that, and it's tough finding the right people. It involves job descriptions, involves key performance indicators. It involves actually being able to communicate, which most owners think, at least at that age, that size, think that, well, they can read my mind. They got to know what I want them to do when they can't. You have to be very specific about what you want, you know, to happen, what their job duties are, what their job descriptions are and, and how they win. You know, what, what does winning look like? What does doing a great job look like? And, and that's really important because that's what you will take you to the next level. You know, in a lot of areas, the next level is somewhere between, I'd say, three and a half, somewhere between two and a half and three and a half, maybe four million, depending upon the type of business that you've had. And that is an even tougher no man's land because you have to put in good managers. I mean, at a million, you can get an office manager or maybe or somebody who's internal that can help you and start the sales process or, or something along those lines. But by the time you hit two and a half to maybe $4 million, you need a great management team to be able to take you to the next level. I worked with one. He was a contractor. He still is a contractor. And we started when he was a little under $4 million took us two years to fight, find the right team. They're now doing 30 million. So that same team, once we found them, took him all the way to $30 million in revenue and growing. Now there's people mm-hmm. under them now. Of course. But yeah. the mm-hmm. thing is that we found the right team. Took two years, but we found it. Yeah, and that's totally you know, a doable situation, but it's, it is painful. (laughs) It can be a painful process. Absolutely. (laughs) To go through lots of thinking, lots of thought behind everything you just said from the job descriptions to the, what's the winning to, you know, all those things. And you're taking that business now too, if you're a contractor or whatever business type of business you are, you're going from running the jobs and doing, you know, doing the thing to, running the business and managing the business and managing the people. And it's a different thing. It's a different thing. And it's a different skill set. And it needs to be cultivated just like any other skill set that you have to go through. And like you said, the 1 million mark is hard. 2 million, usually you're getting a little bit of relief because now you have the people and the resources available. And then you go through that next phase, like you were mentioning. So so I think that definitely it's those skills I would highly encourage business owners to, you know, do the reading, to, you know, get into class. Yeah, Yeah, go go to to classes, learn how to be a leader, because that's stuff that at least back when I went to college, I don't know if things have changed. They really didn't teach, you know, even business majors, not not those things. They teach you the hard, you know, the hard stuff, you know, the the accounting, the hard factual things, but not the soft skills in, you know, the peopling and things like that that are super important. And and the other thing to remember is that the people who got you where you are are not the people who are going to take you to the next level. The hardest thing that I have found with most business owners that I've worked with is their number one employee can't take them to two, three, four, five million, and they kind of fall by the wayside. They reach, you know, what we've often called the Peter principle. But, you know, it's so hard to fire your first employee because they're not doing what they need to do or they're falling back into the organization and you have to promote people over them who have a better skill set. And that is incredibly hard because most of us are incredibly loyal to the people who got us where we are. I know of very few instances, maybe a couple in all the years that I've done it, where somebody was willing to do what it took to get to the next level as an employee 
not necessarily as an owner, so that they could grow when the owner is growing. Most of the time, they're very stuck in their ways and they liked the business when it was little and they could control what they could control and they're fighting the growth. And you have to be very careful about that if you want to grow. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I understand you know, being loyal to those people and I understand that, you know, being a, you know, a good person and a good employer, et cetera. And, but I, I'm sure there's definitely tools and ways that, and there's things that we've discussed uh, with clients of handling those, those situations and circumstances, you know, the best way that you can to, to create, hopefully, if possible, a win-win situation for that person, that special person, that number one person that's been with you. And, and that doesn't mean necessarily in your organization, but maybe you find another, you know, organization that is, where you were, you know, back then, and they could maybe step in and help in that same way and, you know, and fulfill a different role, same role, excuse me, in a different company and have that be a good situation for them. So I think there's definitely ways to work through that, but it is, it's, it's a tough growing pain to have to go through for sure. I'm dealing with it with one company right now where dad basically had somebody who was in accounting who right now is, has screwed up so much stuff. And so what we ended up doing with her is we made her emeritus person. She's there if if we need something, whatever else it is, she's going to end up retiring when he retires, which is a a year from May. So she'll be, you know, retirement age and everything like that. You know, we're paying her full salary until then. And we're allowing her, you know, obviously she wants to come in, she can come in. We want her for oversight. We want her for looking at things, but not touching the day-to-day accounting. Right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you understand that. <laughs> so, I mean, that's one way we're looking at it. I mean, she's got, for all intents and purposes, this is January, 16 months and knowing in 16 months, you know, she'll obviously be okay with Social Security at that point and everything like that. But she knows that in May of 2025, she's going to be retired. Yeah. And it's been discussed. She knows it and stuff like that. And, you know, is it expensive to keep her? Sure. But she's earned it. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to throw her to the wolves or, you know, on the street or anything like that. But, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's time to go. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing to keep in mind is you, you look at each situation and what's going on and you make the best situation that you can for both the company and for the individual and, and work through that. And like you said, in a severance package, it's a, you know, whatever that looks like, it's going to be different in every situation, but it's something that needs to be worked through and making sure you have the right people in the right seats for where you're trying to get to for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's important. And I know we talked about taking classes, reading books, learning more, you know, continuing to expand yourself as an individual and a leader of your business. And so I realized too that you've written, I think it was a six books. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yes. One of them is on managing people. It's called The Ugly Truth About Managing People. And it's, it's 50 horror stories of management oh, from something okay. that's like from a sole proprietor to a top 50 company where that person was a manager in that company. Just don't do those things. <laughs> right. you know, I jokingly say it, but it was, it was an, an eye-opening experience, you know, from that book. And then there's the ugly truth about small business. And then my financial books, which are courage to be profitable, profit or wealth. Ugly Truth About Cash, which is all about embezzlement. And then the last one, which is 101 Dumb Financial Mistakes Business Owners Make. Just don't make those either. 
<laughs> there you go. Yeah, for sure. And we'll we'll definitely include the information about your books in our show notes too that the people can come and look at and find out a little bit more. So yeah, definitely it sounds like the especially the early truth about managing people hits right with what we were just discussing and and learning from other people's situations. So, you know, we can only have the experience that we have, right? We can and, and the only other way for us to learn is to look at other people's experiences and knowledge. And so I think that's a great way to to, you know, learn from that is like you said, to go through those what happened, the horror stories of what happened, so that we can do our best to avoid, you know, repeating or being in those same types of circumstances. Um, whether it's managing people, whether it's, you know, cash and small business, you know, all those things are uh, things that we can learn from and grow with. And I think that's really important to continue yeah, to do agreed. for sure. Let's talk a little bit about your podcast contractor sense. So um, when did you start your podcast and kind of where are you at with that? And what's, you know, just tell us, kind of give us the whole story about like, what's it all about, et cetera. Well, I actually started in front of a camera. I've got 2,000 hours actually in front of a video camera. And I used to do a lot of interviews that way. And it got to the point where I didn't want the studio anymore, but I didn't want to stop doing what I was doing. And so we started podcasting. We're on episode 320-something now. So a little over six years, six and a half years, about six years old right now. And we, you know, we start, my, my goal is that you get one idea by listening to for a short period of time that you can implement immediately. I mean, I don't want it to be six hours long and go, what did they say? And they lose interest after you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes. And that's the way I look at the podcast. It's grown phenomenally in terms of you know, who we are and started. We're now, I forgot the last list that we looked at, but we were in the top 50 of all contracting podcasts in the country. Or I don't know, in the world, I guess. I don't know. But it, we were like number 34, which wasn't too bad. I didn't think. Yeah. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. So sounds like you've done a wonderful job. Yeah. We, ha we have fun with it. I mean, you were a great guest. I want to get people who can help business, period. We have people who listen to it who aren't contractors, quite frankly. And it's just, you know, it's business. What do you yeah, do? Business is you business. Know, yeah. What can you do? What one thing can I do today? Help me, you know, grow profitably, build my wealth do the things that can potentially give back. And I like to do occasional podcasts on giving back too, just because it's part of my philosophy. And, you know, these are people who have, you know, done really well in terms of, you know, one of my favorites ones is Beth's The Book Club. Okay. And what Beth is, is it's a, it's a bus that literally goes around to lower income areas and people get to go, kids get to go and actually choose a book or two that they want to read and it gets them started on the reading process, mm. which is very different than in school. Yeah. And the, the stories that have come out of there about people finally, you know, kids who had no interest in reading, finally getting to go and pick out the book that they want to read so that they learn to read and, and do really good things. It starts them on the path to reading, which is very important, as you and I both know. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, I think that's a great approach to... You know, we all, all people, all of us have these these tendencies, like I think at least most of us to, you know, we want to like have that control. We want to 
you know, not necessarily just be forced to do this and forced to do that. So I think that really resonates well. And you're definitely much more likely to have, especially as a child, to have that open mindset of learning when you're doing something you want to do. Like you want to read this book. It's interesting to you. So you're going to try harder and you're going to, instead of being forced through it, you're going to have that motivation coming from within, you know, to do that. And interestingly enough too, it kind of correlates to, you know, what we talk about with, with our business owners as well is, you know, look at what you want to do. Why were you doing this in the first place? Don't end up in a situation where you hate what you're doing all the time, you know, continually ask something else. Yeah. Yeah. Just go do something else. Life's too short. Exactly. So, you know, your business is a tool, at least the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. And you're, it's a tool to get you where you want to go to do what you want to do. And at some point of time, you will get rid of your tool. Yep. And you'll have, be able to do what you want now. It might be training. It might be going and, and spending time with your grandkids. It might be traveling the world. It might be teaching. It might be, I don't know what you all, you know, what, what everybody wants to do. But the reality is, is your business is a tool that provides the ability for you to do what you want. Right. Probably one of the best examples I have of that is one of the guys that I work with, his daughter was nationally ranked in volleyball and he had, he wanted to go to all of her games and they were all over the place. She, she traveled. So he, he, had, he couldn't do it working for somebody else. So he started his business, built the business so that he could take time off, had a great management team and everything along those lines. And he missed one game until she graduated from college. Wow. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great story. Yeah, for sure. Did his job. Sell it. Mm -hmm. Go do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he did. Very good. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely like you have, like you said, there can be an end game and there can, and there should also be the story along the way. You don't want to, you know, just sacrifice everything now for later. You know, you have to kind of make life as you go. Life is what happens right <laughs> along the yeah. way. You want to make sure you're enjoying it as you go for sure. Definitely. So great. Okay. So I think this has been great. And I like, yeah, you know, like you said, your approach to your podcast, and I think ours is do to so always produce, you know, something usable and valuable in that. So, um, and I think a lot of this conversation has been that, but I wanted to kind of wrap it up here at the end with three ideas that you could put out for businesses to grow profitably and what those might look like. All right. Number one is to have or start a recurring revenue program. Now in the contracting world, it's called maintenance plans. In, in other, you know, you might be in a restaurant situation where you have a frequent diners club or, you know, the birthday club or something else like that, but just have something where you can contact your customers, give them a reason to buy and keep them loyal to you. Because that number one gives you an asset that's off the balance sheet. As you and I both know, these types of assets can actually make your company much more valuable. And the recurring revenue program can be, you know, anything that you want it to be. It doesn't have to be you know, specifically a maintenance program or specifically a birthday program for frequent buyers program, any number of things that tie your customers to you. That's number one. The second thing is determine who your most profitable customers are and pay attention to them. You want to fire your least profitable customers. And the story behind that is you fire them with ruthless compassion. And yes, I know my name is Ruth, but it doesn't, (laughs) that's immaterial. So one of my clients was a part of a three-partner company and they were just complaining about some of their customers who were not, you know, they weren't paying their bills. They were complaining about everything. 
they, they were never happy, et cetera, et cetera. So they said the hell with it. Excuse me for saying that way on a podcast, but <laughs> they sat down at the end of one year and went through every single customer they had and decided who they were going to fire. They fired about 10% of their customer base. And they went to each of them and they said, we're not going to be doing your work next year. We're going in a different direction. Here are three people who you can potentially use to do your work next year. So they didn't like drop them. They dropped right. them with ruthless, you know, that type of thing. So <laughs> what happened the following year is their revenue and profits went up 30% because they didn't have to deal with the customers who were causing them problems. They could deal with the customers who cared, took care of them. And they took care of those customers and it, it was a win-win situation. So every year now they go and they look at their customer base and they fire the ones that they don't want as customers. The really funny story about it is after a couple of years, a couple of them called them and said, can we come back? Because they realized <laughs> they really did take care of them well. I said, fine, yeah. you can come back. Here are the rules. You can't complain about a bill. You can't give our, you can't give our employees a hard time. You know, and they gave them and they said, okay. <laughs> nice. So that would be the second. And then whatever your unit of revenue is. So for example, if you own a car wash, your union of revenue is how many cars run through your car wash. If you're, if you're a bar, how many drinks are you serving? If you're a club, how many people you know, are members of your health club? In the contracting business, it's billable hours. So how many billable hours do you have? You just want to make sure that whatever you are doing is profitable. You have profitable drinks, you have profitable memberships, you have profitable, what did I leave out, jobs and billable hours. So that's, those would be the three things that I would look at. Make sure that you look at the productivity and make sure that whatever you are doing that is producing your revenue is profitable on a per unit basis. And once you get there, you can grow it really, really, really well. Yeah, because once you get that honed in, like you're saying, if you're looking at your unit basis and your unit costs, you know, whatever that might look like for whatever business you're in, then it's really a matter of scale scalability, like scaling it up and keeping, you know, you have to obviously have processes and procedures and quality and all those things have to come into play. But if your units are profitable and you do that by setting your prices right and setting your, you know, managing your costs correctly, et cetera, then you scale up, you just increase your profit with that scalability basically so yep it works it yep. absolutely does work mm-hmm. yeah so, for sure those so, would be great. my three all right well thank you so much ruth for being here on our podcast today i think we've shared some really great information for business owners and i'm sure they'll find this all useful and again we're going to post all this information in our show notes and links to where to find you and your podcast as well as your books etc so they can get to some more learning underway and follow our good advice that we've been giving here. So with that being said, um, is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with aside from that? Just don't be afraid to make a decision. It's scary in the beginning, but make a decision. Don't sit on the fence because sitting on the fence is no decision and that's a decision. (laughs) Sometimes that will put you out of business. Very good. Yep, definitely. I I would totally agree with that sentiment for sure. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your day, wherever you may be. And we look forward to seeing you again soon on the next episode. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.